0: Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Tech 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 Talk. Tech 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 Talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello drone pilots, anti-scammers, and the EV curious. Congratulations on your excellent choice today in selecting another Sterling Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. And here he is, the man so good they named a podcast after him. It's Matthew Dickerson. How's your week been, Matt?
1: Yeah, really good. Really uplifting, actually, James. Sometimes when we've spoken and you ask him my week's been, I've said, "Ah, oh, James, we've got a long way to go. And I'll talk about some poor experience where we think we're getting somewhere with maybe climate change and EVs yeah. and the, where the world's going. Mm-hmm. And then I'll talk to a group of people who just basically blows away my oh! enthusiasm. But They're still out this there. week, they are, they are still out there this week. I've had an opportunity to go to several schools, primary schools, actually, for a range of different reasons, but I ended up with about five different schools I had to go and visit and talk to some groups of kids about a range of different things. But every one of those groups afterwards wanted to talk to me about electric vehicles Climate change. They knew what sort of car I drove. In fact, they'd say, "Which Tesla have you got here today, Mister Dickerson?" And just they've done me, their
0: homework, which or they've been paying attention at least. I think
1: they've been paying attention to the world. And I met with someone this week actually talking about some batteries into homes and just where we might go. And, and this particular person said, "So, how do we educate the kids of today to know what we can do tomorrow?" And I said, "No, forget about it. The kids of today." are absolutely all over it. The kids of today know what they've got to do tomorrow when they finally get to the stage with their adults and they Mm. can start to make these decisions. I said, you've got to start educating the 70-year-olds, the 60-year-olds, the prime ministers, the premiers of this nation. Mm. They're the ones who need the education about what to do. Forget about the kids. Their kids are all over it. So I was very impressed by the knowledge... And there was one class, it was year three, a group of year three, and they were all over it. They knew exactly what was going on. So well done to the teachers out there, obviously well, giving yeah, some good yeah. information to the kids. And maybe we need to focus on some of those older folks and maybe just ask the kids what we should do.
0: Yeah, well, um, I guess that's exciting prospects for the future then. Uh, yeah. And very encouraging. Yeah. If
1: we've still got a planet if when the future comes along.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, fingers crossed for that. Yeah,
1: that's right. Well, if you love a good smorgasbord,
0: folks, you'll love what we're serving in the buffet today. For Entree, I see there's a story about driverless taxis. We knew they were coming, and it wouldn't be long before they were tooting the horn outside the front door, folks. And for some main course, we've got a story about getting fresh water from seawater at just the push of a button, which may just relieve some urgency about the fresh water crisis of the modern age. And if you've still got some space for dessert and you're planning a big long-haul flight overseas, Qantas has got some very good news for making the journey a little bit easier for you. But let's start off with a tasty little hors d'oeuvre for you now. Do you remember years ago when people talked about the future of entertainment and the big-ticket item was smell Still hasn't happened yet, which is probably for the best, in fact. But VR, the VR industry, is nevertheless still striving for the complete immersive experience, and they are now reaching for the touch experience. Matt, is this heading into dangerously creepy waters, he asked, worriedly?
1: Well, I actually want to go back a bit, James. I like the idea of smell-vision we've talked about before. You do like but it. But
0: I always wondered, yeah. What, what?
1: Remember the old scratch and smell, the T-shirts yeah, yeah, you get? Yeah, the scratch yeah, and, and the smell? stickers. So yeah. surely we can do something like that and bring that into some sort of immersive experience. You have to keep topping it up, wouldn't you? Because a scratch and smell yeah, only lasts right. until you're scratched whatever was on there, But you've there. got to
0: get out of that comfy lounge seat and walk up to the screen and go and scratch yeah, that's and true and too. Watch, what's that?
1: Maybe it comes with an accessory, a lounge accessory that you have next to the lounge. The long chair. arm. The, the arm
0: that we used to use to change the channel instead of having a remote control that's, maybe could be used for scratchy. But
1: scratch your left arm of the <laughs> sofa you're sitting on now and make oh, it a long right, okay. and the right arm for a different one. Plug so. your
0: telly into the lounge chair.
1: <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, that's not what this story is about, <laughs> but interesting. So we've got VR accessories. We've got VR headsets. That's fantastic. They are very immersive In fact, I feel scared or sick or a whole range of different things when I'm playing in one of those.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of, it's worrying, I reckon. But anyway, that's another story.
1: And this is just a quick warning to one of my daughters to tune out now because it involves spiders. So Uh. tune out now, she hasn't got a great love of spiders. (laughs) But we're now trying to get to the stage where you can feel with these VR devices. So when you think about feel, you think maybe it's got something that comes out of it and brushes against you, Mm. which again, I've been playing with people with VR headsets and you grab them at just the right time and it does put their heart rate through the mm-hmm. roof. But this is actually using something slightly different. This is using ultrasonic sound to make it feel as if you're doing something or feeling something and it's directing it specifically at your lips. And the reason it's going for your lips is they're quite sensitive. So if you look at, say, your leg, the number, or your thigh muscle, the number of nerve endings per square centimetre, centimetre is fairly low. But in... Your lips, there's actually quite a high concentration of nerve endings. So if you actually yeah, do something right. on your lips, you feel it. So what it does is it attaches to the bottom of a VR headset and then it directs ultrasonic sounds down to your lip and then in the different ways it changes that movement, it makes you feel something. For example, So you
0: get like a pressure wave.
1: You get like a pressure wave. So oh, right. oh, For wow. example, I watched one example where they had someone riding a motorbike in a VR example and, of course, there was wind blowing across their face and so this had... Little pressure waves going across your lips from the inside or from the middle to the outside. So it felt like wind was blowing across your lips.
0: This is amazing.
1: It does sound amazing, doesn't it? So they showed a whole range of examples. Out in the rain, you had some random little pressure waves hit different parts of your lips so as if you're out in the rain and some raindrops were hitting you in the face the one that my daughter would absolutely freak out at was there was one VR example that I watched where you were going through a whole range of spider webs and Uh, spiders yeah. and then so it had fast quick random movement across your lips and watching one person playing it actually they were starting to brush away their lips (laughs) because they thought (laughs) there was a spider on there because everything they're seeing all their senses were telling them you've got a spider on you they're watching the pictures of spiders dropping down. They're feeling it in yeah, this right. some sort of strange way. You have
0: just killed it for all your arachnophobes and there's a lot of them out there. There are a lot of they them They don't this. want anything to do with this That's anymore. Right.
1: So that sounds incredibly scary, but incredibly clever as well. And by doing a range of different motions, the developers of this believe that they can come up with a whole range of different feelings on there. Probably the main thing that they can't do is have more than one sensation at a time. So it's a pressure wave, oh, okay. yeah. but not a whole range of pressure waves because it seems to basically nullify the effect. So it's really just a single point. Which brings me to the most important point is that you can't replicate with this a kiss.
0: Oh, right. They tried to. it's on the lips.
1: They tried to. They yeah, okay. tried their no, best right. to. Not for water drying. For a range of reasons that we won't go into, they tried to replicate a kiss. But because that's too immersive, they couldn't get enough various feelings coming through ultrasonic sounds because it needed to be just a single point in time. So, But,
0: but they're only at the starting point, folks. Uh, <laughs> that's, give that's it a right. year or two. <laughs> There's a whole up.
1: range of things I think that people could uh, explore there. But just watching it, it was it was quite incredible. It's really talking about mouth haptics, I suppose, is the area of research there. But it did look quite incredible. At the moment, you can't go and buy one of these. They're actually just strapping onto the bottom of... Of a VR headset, and then a whole range of sensors were directing down at the lips. Yeah. There will be one before too much longer, though. You would expect that would have it built into a headset, and then it would just direct that down to your lips
0: and release spiders
1: and actually release spiders
0: onto <laughs> you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it, it
1: sounds quite scary, but it was quite it was quite impressive actually watching it. It was quite impressive. I actually haven't tried one for obvious reasons; you can't buy one. But just watching it and seeing how immersed people were with it, yeah, it, it looks pretty cool.
0: Yeah. The world is about to get a little bit crazier. Now, the competition among social media platforms is super hot. There's no big headline there, but as each platform jostles for their edge, their distinctive hook, their unique angle, it it seems that Snapchat has found theirs hovering above our heads. And they've launched a pocket-sized flying camera drone for the perfect 2022 selfie. Matt, when in doubt, grab a gimmick, eh?
1: Well, it's actually not that good a drone. So yeah, Snapchat okay. have released a limited edition drone, a pocket-sized camera, but it's just designed to work with you and Snapchat. So if you want a really good drone, really good camera, some really good features, great battery life, etc., there are better drones out there. So mm. don't get too excited by it. Okay. But if you really want to just have something that integrates seamlessly with Snapchat, you just sit there and say, I want to do a selfie, I want to do a video, whatever. Here's my Snapchat drone. It sits in about the palm of your hand, a little bit bigger than the palm of your hand. It takes off, follows you around, does the videoing or photographing that you want, and sends it straight into your Snapchat. So then you can—it doesn't go straight live. You can then look at it, edit if you need to, and then send it out to the world. So it really is designed to be so specific. And Mm. you—you say it's quite right. What you say is that the competition amongst social media organizations is huge Mm. and they're all trying to get some sort of uh, advantage over the other ones. So they want to come up with some new feature, some new killer feature, something that everyone wants. So they've got to have that social media version. So this is Snapchat's attempt to say, here's something that's better that no one else has got. You can take good old-fashioned selfies with different types of drones, but then you've got to muck around and get it into that social media version, whatever it might be. I wonder what
0: sort of degree of control you have over how this thing flies around you. I mean, you know, you're operating the joysticks for a normal drone. Is this something that just tracks you, or...? Well, yeah,
1: it's got preset flight paths that you can use. It can just track you. It can just follow me, which is obviously a, a standard feature with lots of drones, so... Again, I think there's better flight drones out there or better drones in general that you can take photos and videos with, but just being have that ability to go straight into Snapchat, that's it, I've done. Because sometimes it's a bit hard from a time perspective to muck around and get it right, Mm. and you're on the go, you want to take another selfie, you want to do another quick video, you don't be mucking around editing and getting into the right format and getting into the right program. So if it can be straight in there straight away, just use the Snapchat editing tools that are built into snapchat then so you can actually say for example look at the video you can go in there use those editing tools and then publish it and you're done so it's designed mm. to be quick and easy and to get that content out there and one seems sounds like
0: something i might get in a show bag though <laughs> <laughs> get, probably it's right last?
1: <laughs> <laughs> i don't think so i don't think it lasts very well at all but one of the things and i'm no social media expert but one of the things that i've certainly seen with social media seems to me to be it's not about high quality it's not about making a Hollywood production movie it's about getting content out there quick that's right quick and simple and and relevant and now and yeah pumping it out a fair bit so it seems to be this is just a nice simple way to get that content out there
0: yeah (laughs) quality and quantity yeah Mm. anyway moving right along Total Recall, the 1990 futuristic cinema blockbuster, was set back in, uh, well, set in 2084, featured Arnie Schwarzenegger, if you remember. He was at his dramatic best. But it featured taxis driven by robots, which at the time seemed so outlandish, it could only happen on Mars. Well, it's only 2022 and we're still on Earth, but robotic taxis are officially now a thing in China. And there are no drivers, folks. No drivers. And I reckon you can't wait to have a go, Matt.
1: I can't. I think this would be fantastic. So, both Beidou and Pony.ai have been operating their robo taxi services in Beijing for some time. I want to say some time. That means I haven't researched it properly, but it means (laughs) means some months. That's right. uh, Some months, maybe even up to a year. With a safety driver in them. So you jump into a robo-taxi now and you say, how are you going, Mr. Driver? And they say, sure thing. And they turn around and have a chat to you. You go, shouldn't you kind of be watching where you're going? No, no, it's a robo-taxi. Everything's okay. But the law says you must have a driver in there as a safety driver just in case you need to take over. They allowed them to start charging for these services with a safety driver in there, not controlling the car, but there just in case. The next step has occurred which isn't no. quite there yet. Right. But what they're doing now is they're saying you can keep doing it to these two companies. You can keep doing it and you've got to have a supervisor in there, but the supervisor doesn't have to sit in the driver's seat. So <laughs> somewhere in the car there's someone sitting that can be sitting in the back seat next or to you. Or you
0: hop in and you hear a voice from the boot. <laughs> <That's right>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think it'll throw people off a little bit cuz the driver or the supervisor might sit In the other seat. So rather than behind the steering wheel, you jump in and you might think, oh, sorry, there's a passenger in there already. Sorry, I'll get the next (laughs) one. No, 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 it's right. I'm just supervising. Oh, great. When's the driver back? Well, he's not. Or he or she's not. Let's just go. And so off you go. And the supervisor's there in the short term – to make sure if you've got a problem, you've got someone you can talk to, hey, something's going wrong, not happy with something, oh no, the car's out of control, whatever. You've got a supervisor, obviously that they can jump in and take control in some way, shape or form. But obviously that's step two to step three, which will be, no supervisor in there. Yeah, wow. There will just be a taxi waiting for you there, and away you go. Now there are some, and little... there'll
0: be a robotic voice t- giving his opinion on the federal government <laughs> and uh, climate change. And I'd be disappointed if it wasn't.
1: That's right. <laughs> you can
0: just listen to this thing just rant and rant and rant about topical issues. Yeah,
1: that's right. Now they've got some limitations. So, for example. Beidou has got a limit that it can only go from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. and Pony.ai can only go from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So, only
0: for the time being. That's
1: right, only during the, the day, obviously. And they've also got a limit in terms of where you can go. So, it's basically a 60 square kilometre area in Beijing. So, it's about 300,000 residents there. So, obviously, a fairly small part in the scheme of things yeah. in Beijing. So, there's some limits there. But obviously that's all stepping along the way to eventually getting there. So we'll be having this conversation in three years' time and we'll be saying, sure, it can go anywhere in Beijing. And then three years after that it'll be, sure, it can go anywhere in China or wherever it might be, anywhere else in the world. So they're they're limiting, putting limiting factors on there now just to give them some parameters to monitor and to keep testing. But, you know, it didn't take them long Mm. to go from – a driver not driving, to a supervisor, how long goes from a supervisor to no one in the car? That's the big question.
0: And I wonder when that will be taken up here in Australia. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So there's a bit happening over in California, for example. So you've got some trials in different parts around the world, but... I haven't seen any robo-taxi version even talked about in Australia. And we used to be known as a country that were early adopters. Maybe the citizens still are early adopters, but maybe our government's getting a reputation for laggards or being laggards. (laughs) And so companies maybe aren't trialling things with us anymore. But anyway, hopefully sometime soon. Because I would, you spot it, I would love it. I would love to jump in one and just see how it works.
0: But don't hold your breath yet.
1: No. It
0: has been predicted for a while among some futurists that access to fresh water will be the real currency of the future. With a planet rupturing as it seems from the stress of a human population that's set to cross the 8 billion mark about this time next year, the key limiting resource is access to fresh water. And of all the water on the planet, that's two-thirds of the world's surface in fact, you probably knew that already, only point. Five percent is actually drinkable, so the need to find a simple solution to obtaining drinkable water from seawater is quite urgent, and we may just have it now with the push of a button. Apparently, Matt.
1: The push of a button—it sounds so simple. Well, anything can happen with the push of a button. Couldn't of course, because yeah, you can yeah. have a push of a button <laughs> triggering a whole bunch of other things. It sounds pretty You're dramatic. Factory Send off a nuclear bomb with a push of a button. So, this is interesting because what people have been trying to work on and doing is create some portable desal units, some portable Mm. units that will clean water. Typically, they've gone for a traditional method of putting water through filters at high pressure so that it's got to get through the filter so it needs the high pressure. And so coming out the other end, it's been filtered and stuff that comes out is clean and the filter gets all the stuff that we don't want to be drinking. Mm. So that sounds okay, fairly logical. There's a couple of problems with that. The first problem is that you've got to change the filters. Obviously, if you're collecting gunk in filters, at some point in time, you've got to clean them or change that's them. That's right. So the it becomes no good after a while. Yeah, that's right. So you, you hand a portable drinking unit to a village that doesn't have water, and then you come back in a month, three months, whatever, time frame, and change the filters. But the second problem, which is a bigger problem, is that to get water through those filters, because they're obviously restricting the water flow, you need higher pressure water. Higher pressure water means that you need some way to generate some reasonable power. So you need not just a little solar panel to generate that power. You need something a bit bigger to generate that power. So they're two major problems at the moment, except researchers at MIT said, let's have a look at this from a completely different angle. Let's forget about the traditional ways of doing this. Is there some way we can generate, to start with, some portable devices that can generate clean drinking water without the two problems I've just mentioned? So they've come up with a... An ion concentration polarisation technique. Good old ICP. Of course. <laughs> now, I have no idea what that does. It sounds impressive. And I don't think MIT wants me to know what it does either because obviously oh, part okay. of their <laughs> development is to say, we're going to do something where we're putting some sort of charge through this water to get rid of some of the particles out of that water. So they're doing that. And then they're also going through an electrodialysis process. So they put it through two, dis- two different processes. The two advantages of this, first of all, you don't need high pressure. In fact, you don't want high pressure, you want low pressure because you want water going past Mm. relatively slowly Mm. so that it can actually have a chance for these different particles to be drawn out. The second part of that is you don't have filters. So that's the incredible part. By doing these two processes, you're pulling these parts out without having to have a filter to have that water go through. So I assume
0: that they don't need cleaning, but you would need some water to be flushing that away, I'm sure. And,
1: and that's exactly right. You, there's a, a cleaning process, but not a process of changing filters out. So yeah, okay. in producing the water, it can actually do that almost self-cleaning. There's a couple of steps there. The push of another button to, ah. to do the self-cleaning. <laughs> uh, but the, the incredible part is just in a little suitcase-sized device, and this is what they've got as a prototype now, they can generate about... 300 mils of water per hour now i reckon i could survive on 300 mils of water per hour and the power you need is only 20 watts per liter so to generate that 300 mils per hour you're only needing something so they actually gave a demonstration where they took a little briefcase size or slightly bigger than a briefcase but that sort of size device set it on the beach they rolled out a little solar panel and they actually showed that this little solar panel was something you could go and buy from a standard electronics manufacturer that sells lots of those type of little devices, Plug that in and they actually dropped a hose into the ocean. They drew water up the hose directly out of the ocean, some of that two-thirds of the planet yeah. ocean water that's full of salt yeah. and an hour later and, and I'm assuming they did it legitimately they did a little fast forward they didn't watch an hour of watching it go through and sure enough there's 300 meals of drinking water out comes a cup at the other end and the guy sat there and had a drink so quite incredible that's
0: fantastic yeah you're talking about I mean uh, there's a lot of the. Um, well most of the water is salt water mm. you know on the planet but we've also got a lot of fresh water that's locked up in glaciers and, and ice so you can't drink that um, you've also got water that's been tainted so the, the access to fresh water is a real issue and this yeah this solves
1: the problem we We've also got, on top of those things, you might have a river or a bore that's got water that's relatively fresh. It's not salt water, yeah, yeah. but it's probably not the cleanest water always. I mean, we pump water out of rivers and bores for our drinking water in a normal city or town, but it goes through a water filtration plant.
0: Even The Great Artesian Basin has got, um, it's got salts in it. Yeah, yeah, so
1: any water that you take out... Within reason, I mean, I'm assuming you can't take sewage water, for example, but any water that's relatively clean, it might be salty, it might have some contaminants in there, but this is designed to remove those out. Now, the more exciting part is, sure, I can take out my little briefcase, weighs about 10 kilograms, and I can take that around with me if, if I'm going on a trek in the outback, if I can find some water, or if I'm a soldier fighting a war, or if I'm a village, for example, where I want to have some water in there. But let's go to that village one. You probably don't want to have a village of 100 people with everyone carrying around their little briefcase of water. So this same technique can scale up. So exactly the same way that we're talking about here, if you scale it up, then that village, you can have a device bigger than a briefcase. So you might have a a device as big as a room or maybe as big as a container, for example, using the same concept. Not a lot of power needed not filters to be changed and produce drinking water, obviously at greater volumes depending on how large you scale that up. So it sounds like a different way of treating water and the fact that it's not just, oh, I've thought about this idea, I should go and design it. The fact they've got a prototype, a working prototype right now, is pretty impressive.
0: Well, I wonder if this, actually I was just thinking about... Um, more locally in Sydney and, and Newcastle, Wollongong, uh, whether or not some of these coastal houses and the, the suburbs along the coast there um, may have a plant that that does just this, rather than for Sydney uh, leaning on Warragamba Dam for their fresh water. Um, yeah, that, that could be like the western suburbs. Uh, supply
1: <laughs> well, we, We've often heard of talk about desal plants, haven't we? But
0: yeah, well, and they got one. At, I think it's Kernel isn't it? Yeah, but I the, wonder if this spells the end for the the Kerneil desalination.
1: Well, right? I think the the plant. cost of running a normal desal plant seems to be quite incredible. It's enormous.
0: They're Enormously energy hungry.
1: Yeah. So if you're doing something like this, which seems like it's much less energy hungry, then again, scale it up. I'm sure they're not going to throw away a desal plant they've got now. But Mm. going forward, rather than trying to get water from a dam that's got inland waters that run into that dam and then treating that in a normal process, taking water out of the ocean, that Mm. sounds fantastic because there's a fair bit out there. Yeah,
0: (laughs) (laughs) And with rising sea levels, there'll be even
1: more. That's right. So we found an advantage, James. (laughs) There's our advantage for climate change.
0: Start putting these uh, plants uh, in the Blue Mountains. I I wonder what the record for losing money is in a single scam. It's a very dubious title to carry, no doubt. Well, how's this, folks? One lady lost $730,000 in a single blow. Matt, we often wonder how profitable these scams are. I guess if you keep casting your line into the murky waters, sooner or later, you're bound to reel in a big one sooner.
1: Yeah, or later. that's pretty scary, isn't it? And this is the classic man-in-the-middle scam. And we have talked a little bit about this, but it is relevant because it's still happening. As much as we talk about it, there are people out there who are trying different ways to mm. attack it. And this is something that is just so easy to happen Many of our listeners would have bought a house sometime in their lifetime and they would have paid a large chunk of money to someone that owned that house. So it seems like a transaction that it doesn't happen very often in your life, might only happen once or twice in your life, but most mm. people are familiar with some sort of transaction. This woman was doing that. She was buying a property. Doesn't seem like a big, scary, ridiculous thing to do. It doesn't seem like you're trying to get some money from your long lost uncle in Nigeria. It just feels like you're buying a property. This particular property, again, not ridiculously priced, it was over in WA, $730,000. She received an email from her agent who talked about the transaction and the transfer and the vendor details, et cetera. Again, no big deal there. Then received an email the next day to say, now the transaction's completed, It's, it's gone through all the legal processes. Please deposit that $730,000 into this bank account, which she did. She had the money there, she'd arranged the Mm. loan, all the rest of it, deposited the money into that particular bank account. And the next day, the agent said, Can you please deposit the money into that bank account?
0: But I just did. Exactly
1: right. No, you didn't. Yes, you did. No, you didn't. Yes, you did.
0: Oh my gosh! I just feel the blood draining out oh, of my head. Imagine that. This, yeah. yeah, we've just done this sort of thing recently, and um, just the fretting over the uh, the finance was amazing. Um, and for this lady, I just imagine oh, I can the realization. How she hit the floor?
1: Yeah, when you finally realise that you've just paid seven hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Now I have no idea this woman's financial situation, but for many people, the money they have for the house is all their money, or more money than they have because they've gotten someone from the bank. But that's a large chunk of their life savings Mm. going to someone. Now, if you start to to drill down into it, the man in the middle scam works by hacking either the sender's email system or the receiver's email system, seeing a transaction that looks like an attractive transaction, and then they send another email that looks exactly the same, looks identical to the email you've received, but it's just got a slight change in bank account details. And then you deposit the money understand. and away you go. So just to scare you a bit further, already this year we've seen nine people in WA fall victim. This is reported scams. that's the thing that always scares me. Uh. These are reported scams. A lot of scams aren't reported. So yeah. nine victims in WA have already lost over a million dollars. So this is the biggest one, single one of those transactions. And there's 37 victims in WA alone last year that lost over a million dollars and... Only two of those victims got money back. They got about $287,000 back. So the rest, over $700,000 has gone. So it's a pretty scary thing, a simple thing to do. And I still get a bit of a hard time from some people I deal with when I ring them and say, can I just check those bank details before I pay you? And they go, it's on the invoice. I say, yeah, I know, I know. But just, I talk about this a bit, so I want to follow through with my own advice. And they kind of go, okay, well, here it is. Now, that's when I'm buying something worth $5. So if you do it for that, (laughs) for $730,000, then absolutely do it. So it is a, a real warning. And even if you check the email, even if you check the email address it comes from, These scammers are good because we've talked about it before. It's very easy to spoof an email address. So Mm. I can send an email to you that looks like it came from the Prime Minister. Very easy to do. So when this email comes, it's not as if you go, oh, look at that. It's just uh, one of the free email addresses. It must be a scam. When you see an email that looks legitimate, it doesn't mean it's legitimate because there's no check on the sender. Mm. And even the layout and all the rest of it, it's pretty easy to go to Desktop Publishing 101 and make it look the same. So be aware, be Warned there are people out there and they're making money out of it, so they'll keep doing it.
0: Uh, Just uh, it just guts me to think that someone, you know, with all the hope that comes with purchasing a new property. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the argument that must have happened over, you know, no, I I have sent you the money. Mm. I've got the email. Here's the email. I'm sorry, ma'am, I didn't send you that email. And then the blood draining from your head. Then who did? Yep. Oh goodness (laughs) me. Well, we've been hearing uh, quite a few stories about big business overseas restocking their transport fleets with EV options. Well, the fat cats in charge of the US Postal Service were not about to get sucked into any modern fads or allow peer pressure to guide them towards a lower carbon footprint. And so they went ahead with a plan to buy thousands of new gas-guzzling mail trucks. Well, that was until 16 states took exception and filed lawsuits to block the action, And the case against the USPS is a pretty strong one, I'm relieved to announce. Matt, the people are rising up.
1: Well, I don't mind this story, even though normally when I hear about People in the U.S. suing other people in the U.S. Roll the eyes. That's right. Apologies to all our American listeners, but it does seem like Americans are a little bit litigious. They just love to get Well, into we the can't courtroom. talk
0: in Australia. I think per capita we are worse than America now.
1: I think we're up there, aren't we? If, if not worse, we're probably right up there yeah. side by side with Americans. It's just that we don't have as many people, so we don't hear about it as much, <laughs> but <laughs> okay. I, think, yeah. I think you're right. But in this particular story, and it's, it's crazy, isn't it? There are states suing Effectively, the federal government. Yeah. So that just sounds like a crazy situation. <laughs> but what I love is, and it's as you said, the US Postal Service, so the equivalent of our Australia Post, which is, again, that's owned by the federal government. Mm. So you can just imagine New South Wales, Queensland, Victoria suing Australia Post because they're buying some gas-guzzling vehicles. Now, you said thousands. It's not just thousands they ordered. They ordered... 148,000 new delivery trucks. And not one EV. (laughs) Well, this is the thing. They said that they're actually thinking about getting a few of those EVs, 5,000, 5,000 of those EVs. Is that all? And after this court action, they said, and I don't understand this number exactly, but they said, we might increase our order from 5,000 to 10,019. I don't know why it was so <laughs> specific, but so double the order. That's when the money ran out, oh. but but maybe who knows? But one hundred and forty-eight thousand. Okay, we'll take that down to one hundred and forty-three thousand now because we'll add that other five thousand on. Okay. But that's not enough, according to many states. Well, sixteen of the states across the U.S. So they're suing them, saying that they only gave the idea of an EV a cursory environmental review. To justify the decision to buy gas guzzling vehicles and i think it's absolutely relevant because i don't know how long they've had those other mail trucks for but i imagine it will be quite some time go forward if you went and ordered 148,000 gas guzzling delivery trucks right now i imagine they're not going to be delivered today they're going to mm. have some sort of delivery time frame let's say in the next couple of years so here we are say 2024 2025 you get this huge order Go forward 5, 10, 15 years, you're really just not going to see petrol cars on the road. Except
0: except, except the USPS.
1: US <laughs> right. Oh, there goes one of those US Postal Service vehicles.
0: Well, it's almost like well, here in Australia, um, you don't see so many smokers anymore. No. And, and when someone lights up a cigarette, you go, oh, there's that unfamiliar thing. Um, I remember that from back in the 90s. Yep. Um, and, and so... Um, Yeah, it's all about perspective. I I don't hang around a lot of smokers. But uh, it'll be like that, I would assume, that, uh, you know, five, ten years' time when people are driving a lot more EVs uh, overseas, that, uh, yeah, when they come to a place where there's there's a car that's driving past that's belching out carbon monoxide and...
1: Absolutely right. So the other thing that's interesting here is that Congress recently approved a $50 billion rescue package for the US Postal Service, which... I I don't quite understand. I know we don't have as many letters delivered now, but surely Mm. online shopping, the amount of parcels delivered, you talk to most organisers or freight company executives, they think it's absolutely boom time at the moment because you've got so many people going online and ordering. So I don't know why they needed a $50 billion rescue package, but they've lost, the US Postal Service has lost more than $90 billion since 2007. Now, maybe part of that process has been they just don't look to the future enough. So this is actually good. I don't know what the outcome will be. I'm not really that invested in US politics to know Mm. exactly how this will all play out. But what I do like about it is there's a lot of pressure from a lot of different angles on people that are still thinking, anyone out there still thinking that buying petrol or diesel vehicles going forward is still the answer.
0: Well, it'll be really interesting to see what the result of these, um, these legal suits yeah, yeah.
1: comes out as. Yeah, I don't know what happens when a state sues the federal government and then they win. Do they get a payout? Do they just get some action changed?
0: I don't know. Fingers crossed for some action change, perhaps.
1: Yeah, hopefully. Now listen
0: up, Year 12 physics students. The next story is relevant to your syllabus, so pay attention. I won't say it again. An international body of scientists are set to redefine the second. Matt, this is a big deal because the definition of a second influences pretty much all the other measurements.
1: Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's, and of course, off the top of your head, you'd know the definition of a second.
0: Well, it's actually uh, the uh, it's the radiation given off by um, a cesium atom, uh, and what is it? A, a certain number, of, it's about nine billion uh, oscillations. Uh, of
1: radiation from
0: a cesium atom.
1: Yeah, I'll take that. Correct. Close enough. Yep. Okay, good.
0: <laughs> Do you know, because we just taught it last week. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm impressed. Uh, the cesium one through three atom, of course. And just to round up the number, 9.192631770 oscillations. Sorry, I should have got that. Yeah, no, but 9 billion, <laughs> I reckon that's pretty pretty damn close. So that's, that's pretty impressive. And so you go, well... That seems pretty accurate. It's
0: it's not a very round number to go with. Um, No, it's
1: not. And you're right, because things like the definition of the metre – rely on, of course, the definition of a second. If you changed how long a second is, then by default you'd change how long a metre is. Well, I
0: used to have a platinum iridium rod, uh, rod that was in uh, the Louvre in Paris, I understand, and yeah. uh, it had two marks on it that were exactly a metre away. And then someone said, but what if it's a hot day? And so they said, oh, it's only at zero degrees, yep. th- 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 that's a metre. And then someone said... What if you're travelling with it in a straight line? You get length <laughs> contraction, and uh, yeah, so that's so right. that's special relativity. Thanks, Albert Einstein. That's right, and it makes
1: it a bit difficult if you're sitting somewhere else, not in Paris, and going, "How do I get a really exact measurement of the meter?" Well, just yeah. slip over to Paris, <laughs> Paris take that. another bit of a bit yeah. of something, and measure it up against that one. So now so. we fire
0: a beam of light, and we calculate how far it's travelled in one over what is it, um, 2.997958 times 10 to the power of 8 metres per second.
1: 792458 or thereabouts. But, (laughs) yeah, so basically you're taking that speed of light and using that as pretty much a constant, obviously. Because it's
0: the universal constant. Yeah, it is, isn't it? That's very nice.
1: So that relies that definition of a metre though, which means that you can do it anywhere, in a laboratory anywhere. I mean, maybe not in the, in the home and you just go and check if your tape measure really is a <laughs> metre long. You might not have that technology sitting there, but that relies on the definition of a second to be accurate, obviously. So a whole range of things come from that and atomic clocks use that cesium-133 atom but scientists are now saying, you know what, that's not quite accurate enough for us. Mm. And more to the point, and we've talked about this before, when you send off some clocks off into, well, just low Earth orbit for things like GPS, you want that clock really accurate. And we think we can get that clock pretty accurate with an atomic clock, but they keep checking back on Earth to make sure their time is really accurate because that gives us better accuracy with GPS. But when you send off spaceships out into, say, Mars or even just to the far reaches of the Milky Way or wherever they might be going to, the further they get away, it gets harder for them to check back to Earth and make Mm. sure it's actually right. So we want to come up with something better. Now, there isn't something better yet. Scientists have said... By 2030, they want to come up with a new definition of the second, which is fairly ambitious. That's only eight years to come up with a new definition of a second. But they believe that they can actually maybe do something along the lines of maybe something that decays a bit quicker so you can have – more periods of radiation so then you can have something that's even more accurate or maybe have a few different ones there that you can then combine and take the average from those different ones to then give you a different definition of the second so it sounds incredibly complicated and for most people to go let's look on my watch over one second, there you go. What's the That'll big do. deal? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it is quite fascinating when you start to break down something that we see as really one of the basic building blocks of our entire scientific world. And scientists say, "Yeah, you know what? We should do it better than that." Mm. So it's a it's an interesting space. There hasn't actually been a proposal of exactly what they might use, exactly how they might do it at this stage. It really just comes down to something that might decay a bit quicker than Mm. cesium-133.
0: And as I said before, if you are travelling in a straight line with a clock, then it ticks slower for anyone who's watching you travel who's not in your vehicle, Um, that's all uh, special relativity, Uh, they did a really cool experiment, I think it was in 76, where they um, put two of these atomic clocks and they were all uh, synced together and they uh, had them at a US naval base and then they flew one plane with the rotation of the Earth and one against the rotation of the Earth and they had each had a clock on those as well, So these CDS clocks. And uh, the one that was flying with the Earth uh, was traveling the fastest and so it uh, actually when it landed it was running at what is it about 280 millisecond um sorry 280 microseconds slower yep. than the clocks that were left on earth the one that went against the rotation of the earth was about 86 microseconds i think from the top of my, off the top of my head um running slower than the clocks that were back on earth so um, and once again it took
1: 60 70 years for people to go einstein He was right, again, with some sort of experiment because, of course, Einstein... Because Einstein
0: just had thought experiments. That's right. He just thought
1: about stuff and went, I reckon that this is the case. Everyone went, what's that crazy guy on about? But Uh amazing that 60 or 70 years later, you do the experiments that prove, which I think most scientists generally agree that Einstein was right, but it's nice to actually do the experiment and say, just with the speed of that plane going around the Earth, that gives us that ever so small difference.
0: And it's also evidence that uh, physics is a cool subject. (laughs) Get into it, folks. Thank
1: you. Now,
0: drone technology is also pretty cool. No arguments there. But it was, of course, only a matter of time before the bad guys latched onto it. And a bad guy drones? Well, bad guy drones are now somewhat of a problem in the US. And current US law prevents law enforcers from shooting them down or interfering with drones. They need a plan, Matt. Maybe the only way to stop a bad guy with a drone is to have a good guy with a drone.
1: (laughs) That's one option. And I actually did a talk for a group of farmers. This is a couple of years ago now. And we're talking about a whole range of things. And then they said, what happens when a drone flows over my place? I'm a bit worried that someone might be looking at things to steal. And I started talking about some things you might do. And another guy said, I just get the shotgun out and shoot it down. I went... Well, I'm pretty impressed. Well, you're not allowed to do it for a start. That's, <laughs> that's a minor problem. But I also said, I'm pretty impressed if you can get a shotgun or a rifle and shoot down a drone that's flying, I don't know, 50, 100 metres above you as it's flying Careful, around. I,
0: I've got a whole lot of listeners now. I reckon they're just thinking, challenge <laughs> accepted.
1: <laughs> don't, don't do this, please. It's illegal <laughs> in Australia, definitely, and this story talks about it being illegal in the US, so don't go and do it. But given the fact that your bullet is obviously going to be going in... You know, it's going to be dropping to earth as you fire it up in the air. Yeah. the drones sitting up above there. It's yeah, it sounds like a complicated thing to me. I, I don't think it'll be a very easy thing to shoot a drone down, especially if it's flying as well if it's hovering, mm. maybe maybe half a chance. but yes you've are you know, right.
0: you got all these clay pigeon shooters out there with their <laughs> shotguns now thinking right. You're yeah, on. they're pretty
1: Challenge. clay pigeons are pretty close to you though in yeah, relative you, terms good point. yeah so anyway, <laughs> off the story slightly, but yes, at the moment, drones are used for a whole range of criminal activity dropping drugs into jails or even just doing drug deliveries is a common thing that drones are used for. Now, you might think in a jail situation that prison guards might go, hmm, what's that funny noise? There seems to be something (laughs) dropping from the sky. But if you can't get to what has dropped quick enough or you can't get that thing down out of the sky, it might still do what it's meant to do, in other words, drop some drugs into a jail, for example, before they get a chance to get rid of it or actually catch where it's being dropped to. So drones are used in a whole range of things. They smuggle things across the Mexican border, for example. So the US authorities can't shoot them down at the moment. In special circumstances, they've got permission, but again, it's pretty difficult. So they've come up with some technology, some... uh, Technology that basically is like a radio frequency jammer. Now, normally radio frequency jammers are illegal because they can jam lots of other radio frequencies that you might need to hear. For example, if you start blasting up into the sky, there might be some planes up there that might Mm -hmm. need those radio frequencies. So normally they're illegal, but they're getting things that are like a rifle in terms of their accuracy and they jam directly on that site. So you've got a very narrow beam of jamming. Suddenly there's a drone so flying around. It's like around. a
0: laser. And a laser is just uses light which is uh, you know one form of electromagnetic radiation. Yep, Radio waves is just another form. So it's a, a laser for radio waves.
1: They block exactly right, they block the radio, the uh, communication between the drone and its operator. So right, wow. the operator's going on flying it going, all oh, right, I've just got to get it over there and drop my Hold on. I've lost control of it now because someone's pointing a radio jammer at it. And so you're not worried about jamming other things around that might be needed because it's not going just everywhere. It's going like a rifle, very focused and aimed at that particular drone. And then that jams that drone effectively and that drone is useless to anyone. So fascinating technology. And this will be given, again, this is the problem. This will be given legal status and the tools given to authorities in the US, but of course as soon as there's something for the good guys to use the bad guys probably will get onto it as well so they might be able to use it to stop good guy drones out there from a bad guy perspective but at this stage, hopefully, only the bad guy drones will be attacked with the good guy (laughs) rifle-like jammer technology.
0: For the time being, the good guys have got the upper hand, perhaps
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe (laughs) (laughs) But it does sound interesting, doesn't it? Firing a little rifle-like jammer at a drone. Sounds amazing
0: Now, if you were watching the news lately, you may have seen the new Qantas plans for the super long-haul flights, Sydney to London, London, London to Sydney, or Melbourne to London, and vice versa, that are set to become a common thing very soon, the big A380s there. Now, I don't know about you, but there are not very many pleasurable things that I like to do for 20 hours straight, let alone sit in a confined space with 852 of other people who are not necessarily my friends. Thankfully, flight engineers understand this and have decided to create well-being zones for those ultra-long flights and save people from going stark raving mad, Matt. Well,
1: there's a couple of things there. I will talk about the well-being zone, but I want to talk about just this whole concept of being up in the air and flying such great distances. And so you talk about all those people that may not necessarily be your friends. After 20 hours, I think they would be, James. (laughs) You'd have at least hopefully one. BFFs, obviously, Mm -hmm. everyone in that plane. But it's just, I think we've done an incredible job in plane technology. So it was only, only back in 1903... When Orwell and Wilbur first flew that flight on that first Mm. day near Kitty Hawk, their best flight was about 260 metres. So a couple of football fields, a bit more than a couple of football fields. So not very far, but pretty exciting day. That was 1903. You don't have to go very far forward. You start to get to the first commercial flight, 1914, a flight was 34 kilometres. So that was it. The first one you can go and buy a ticket onto, 34 kilometres, not far. (laughs) But it jumped pretty quickly. 1934, you had a 1,200-kilometre flight. You go another 10 years forward, you had a 5,700-kilometre flight. The magical 10,000-kilometre mark was hit by 1967. And that was with a a Boeing, and then Boeing kind of jumped all over the place after that because a 747 came out, Mm. and that just kept breaking record after record. So they had a 12,824-kilometre connection from New York to Johannesburg in 1991. Then by 2001, they cracked 13,000 kilometres. So now, here we are, and there was a bit of a pause because you had a couple of problems. You had fuel prices going up. And you had a little GFC that kind of threw a spanner in the works there. I'm ignoring a pandemic as well. But back in the late 2000s, early 2010s, you kind of slowed down some of that. By 2019, things were back on track and going very well. That's when Qantas did some of these test flights. And they were using planes now. Instead of aluminium, you've got composite planes. So these are things, mainly carbon fibres, the sort of material, but those sort of composite materials – and they're using, I mean, first of all, we've used aluminium in planes for a long time because it's lightweight, it's strong, and it resists corrosion. So aluminium, for example, is about a third the weight of steel. So that's mm. good to get all that bulk up in the air. But now we're going for composite materials that reduce the weight even further. And so you're getting now, say, the Boeing 787 and the Airbus A350, about half of each of those planes by weight is made from a composite material. So not aluminium, yeah, other right. composite materials. Wow. So that then opens up this whole ultra-long-haul flight category. So Qantas did some test flights back in 2019, where, as you said, they did Sydney to Melbourne. Oh, sorry, Sydney to Melbourne. That's not long-haul flight. <laughs> <laughs> Sydney to London. Well, it depends on what carrier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true. Okay. Sydney to New York, for example. The longest of those, Sydney to London, is just over 17,000 kilometres. Yeah, now, I won't yeah. go into the whole discussion about the great circle distance versus the actual flight distance, great circle distance being the shortest point, between two, two points on a sphere, But sometimes they'll fly longer than that because they'll have to go up away from the sphere, so they're making a bigger sphere, mm. and then they'll fly in jet streams, for example. So a 17,000 kilometre...
0: Well, jet streams, is also the rotation of the Earth as well, that they've got to consider too, but anyway... Yeah, yeah. yeah, but
1: you're probably mainly in the inertial frame of reference of the Oh, air of course, no, yeah, around. what am I saying? So, yeah, yeah sure. but jet streams make a big difference. But when you start talking about the great circle distance, which is what I'm basing on, 17,000 kilometres, that's a long way. Mm. So they did some test flights, and then this is getting to the point that you made about this whole health, well-being zone on the plane... They actually hooked up some people to a whole range of centres, checked them before they flew, checked them during these flights, these incredibly long flights, checked them afterwards for a week or so afterwards to see what health impacts... Being up in the air for twenty hours, twenty hours, yeah. James. Oh, I think they needed some psychiatrists you're there as right well.
0: You mad? <laughs> I once had a long haul flight from Sydney to uh, LA, and the video system was down, oh, uh, no. so we couldn't watch movies. Um, what we got to watch was the airplane crossing the Pacific. That little, oh, no. a little red line with an airplane. <laughs> like icon and on a blue background because there was no no topography it was just the ocean <laughs> and we did that for 15 and a half hours when we hit finally could see the land approaching and the cheer went up it was like <laughs> right. funny thing to break the boredom <laughs> <laughs> well funny enough I Sorry. actually was on a flight one
1: time when the video system broke down it must be a common thing but I actually said to one of the hosts I'm a technician do you mind if I have a look at it and I don't know why because you think hmm what a good setup for a terrorist to come along here <laughs> but they said sure thing because our parents Passengers are gonna go crazy. We had this James E on a flight previously, he was going crazy with it. So they let me have a look he at broke it. The and chairs. I actually got it going again for them. And that was money for my selfish reasons, so I could keep watching videos. But yeah, people were very relieved to see that going again. But what they've got on these flights when they start, now we're not talking about these starting until twenty twenty five. So it's a long way mm-hmm. from twenty nineteen, obviously. The pandemic came along after that. But they did some test flights in 787s, but they've chosen the Airbus A350. So they've ordered those. They'll get to that point where 2025, they'll have these planes ready. But they're only going to have 238 people on there. So nowhere near the 800 that some of these larger planes can possibly hold. But they've got a well-being zone. So in the middle of the plane... Because they need one. Oh, well, you would think so, wouldn't you? The testing from the health experts show that the impacts, the physical impacts on your body... Not a lot different from 13 hours to 19 to 20 hours. It's really okay. not great whichever way you go, but it's probably more that mental side of it. Deep vein thrombosis was probably the main potential impact on people. But the idea of the health zone or the well being zone is so you can get up from your seat from whatever class you're on first, business, economy, whatever you walk down to this centre section of the plane, which is an area that you can just move around. I wouldn't go so far as to say exercise. There's no treadmill. There's no or, yoga mats and no, people stretching like that. No. and
0: doing the lotus position. or the No, no downward
1: dogs there <laughs> in the middle of, middle of the Pacific Ocean. But they're just able to move around because normally, and I see people do it all the time, you'll see people get up and they'll walk around they'll go down near the toilets and they'll stand on their tippy toes and all sorts of things. Yeah. But it's a pretty crowded sort of environment doing that. But this will just give you a bit of space until... 238 people moving into the space That's pretty crowded <laughs> but the idea is to move around give you some space to feel like you're just exercising moving doing something in there rather than just stuck in your seat the whole time so it does sound incredible I'm not I'm not sure the jury's out in my mind I'd try one once they start flying but I'm just not sure I, I kind of like the 13 hours flight for example still a long flight but then you get a bit of a break you might get off the plane have a look around look at the shops it's just a breaking up the flight mm. but Then it sometimes takes you 25, 28 hours to get somewhere. Maybe it would be better just to take 19 hours, 20 hours to get somewhere. Just to break the back
0: of it. Yeah, Yeah. just to
1: to rip into it. So anyway, it sounds like an interesting concept. The main thing that I think is important from this is that you could watch on that one flight all nine installments of the Star Wars Skywalker saga. (laughs) (laughs) So that's oh, one thing to look you told
0: at. My son, that a couple of weeks ago, he just did that. Oh, did he yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did he watch the two anthologies as well, or just the nine? Did Star he watched the nine Sarkas? Star Wars. Yeah, oh yeah, wow! Yeah. I, my son had a party one time where he did something similar. Where he said to his friends, "We'll come around and we'll watch the three, the three original Star Wars movies." But they didn't last. They they, uh, they started watching them and then started falling asleep. I got a bit bored. Went out and did something else. So it actually wasn't successful. Well, so, he, would
0: you get through the director's cuts for um, the Lord of the Rings? probably not probably not we'd need another flight coming back (laughs) (laughs) the Lord of the Rings alone is long (laughs) enough isn't it (laughs) so that,
1: that really sounds from a technology perspective I find it fascinating to be able to have thing that you put up in the air for that long, yeah. 178,000 litres of fuel that you need to put into that, that's a lot of fuel, wow. to say, there we go, we'll just keep burning that for 20 hours straight while that thing stays airborne.
0: Well, I hope they've got something to keep the pilots occupied as well, give them a bit of physical...
1: Well, the actual Pilots Association chimed in on this, as they do, and I think they're going to add an extra pilot. Obviously, they've got a couple of teams of pilots, some having a sleep, some flying, but they've got an extra pile, I'm sure they want to add into this just for a, a different rotation. So, yeah. yeah, you'd want to make sure that the pilots are going, oh, 20 hours, <laughs> a bit tired <laughs> now. Crap. Landing, what have I got to do now? <laughs> What's
0: out the window? Yeah. Mm. And on that note, I've got to admit, I think I'm just about full to the brim, Matt. Pass me a napkin, please. And thank you for another cracking tech talk. I'm not sure if I'd um, entice anyone into a Snapchat with that drone lure, though. I can't say I'm sold drone or no drone myself.
1: No, nah, let's just go for a good old-fashioned, high-quality drone and then just spend the time and edit it. Do it properly. Yeah,
0: yeah, commit. Commit. Well, it's been a pleasure bringing you Tech Talk again for another week. I'm James Eddy, and we look forward to you tuning in again next week. Don't forget to like, subscribe, tell some friends, leave a comment somewhere. Remember, your small effort on this part keeps our planet in orbit, and you don't want to be responsible for the planet falling out of orbit now, do you?